the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers. I'm Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860 The Answer KPAM, AM 1640 The Patriot, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And our very special guest on the line right now serves as the senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. And he also happens to be the Bible teacher on 93.9 KPDQ FM for Truth for Life weekdays at 4.30 in the morning and 8.30 in the morning, in addition to 4.30 Saturday mornings and Sundays at 5 a.m. And Truth for Life also airs on True Talk at 100 a.m., weekdays at 6.30 p.m. And Alistair Begg, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks, Mike. It's a privilege to talk with you. And it's a privilege to speak with you as well, brother. You may remember, friends, last November, Truth For Life offered the book, The Hand of God, Finding His Care in All Circumstances. Now you can get the new book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle, for a donation of any amount. I'll make sure that the links are up on the Difference Makers page at truetalkat100.com. And if you want that website right now, it's truthforlife.org slash pray big. So, Alistair, can you give us the inspiration for writing this latest book of yours? I suppose the inspiration really comes from the fact that uh, uh, prayer, both in private and in public, is arguably my greatest challenge. Um, and it's something that, either through the years, uh, has been an occasion of uh, inducing guilt or frustration or disappointment, um, along with moments, I suppose, of uh, spiritual progress. And it came really to focus in the last while when we've been studying Uh, When I say the last while, I mean the last three or four years when we've been studying the book of Ephesians together, and when we came on the way in which Paul was praying, it really highlighted for me the vast discrepancy that exists between many contemporary approaches to prayer and the approach not only of Paul, but of all of the apostles and indeed of the Lord Jesus himself. So, were there any moments writing this book where God opened your eyes to something new? No, I don't think so. I think ex- ex- only, only insofar as it was, I saw things that I knew, perhaps in a new way, but I didn't see new things. Well, I love the fact that it was such a good read, this book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle, that even I was able to get through it with relative ease, and I'm not a great reader. So can you give us the big picture of what is the most important aspect of our prayer life that you think the average Christian might be missing today? Well, yeah, it's something of an irony that the book is called Pray Big, and I didn't choose the title, but it's, uh, you know, it's a big subject for what is a small book, you know, only 100-plus pages. Probably the essential um, uh, notion is that prayer 
emerges first from an understanding of the, the, the magnificence and the approachableness and the uh, benevolence of God on the one hand, and then one's own awareness of helplessness and need on the other. So that where there is an absence of our own sense of helplessness, our prayer life will be minimal. And if at the same time we're not sure about the character of God, then we will be unclear in the way in which we approach him. And so, again, that is where the importance of the scriptures come in, in informing us of who and what we are, and, and also of making it clear to us who and what God is. So in this case, Alistair, you focused on Paul's prayer for his friends in the church in Ephesus, specifically Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and 3, 14 to 21, and how these truths that underpin and shaped Paul's prayers for them will set an example and motivate us to pray. So are there certain aspects in our everyday of prayer life where we're saying the prayer in our heads and verbally, but somehow deep down inside in our hearts, our relationship with the Lord needs to be more strengthened in order to fully pray the way that God would call us to? Well, you know, it, it, it's, that's an interesting question, and one has to be careful in answering it, because if, if we, we're encouraged in Christ to approach God as our Heavenly Father, um, the fact that He is our Heavenly Father, and therefore um, not simply an, a, a sort of advanced version of our earthly fathers, that our understanding of fatherhood comes from who God is rather than a projection upon God from our own earthly fathers. Uh, because he's our heavenly father, then uh, we honor him and we, and we worship him. But we also do so with an intimacy that is just wonderful beyond comprehension. And so how much does my son or do my daughters need to know of me to approach me? Well, they need to know who I am. They need to know of my affection for them. They need to know of my willingness to provide for them and so on. And I am not going to determine the level of my benevolence or response on the basis of how effectively or consistently they approach me. So one of the dangers in addressing the issue of prayer is this idea of, well, I've never really prayed properly, or I've never really prayed enough, or I've never whatever else it is. But in actual fact, you know, as fathers, we listen to the tiniest cries of our children. Sometimes all they can say is help. Uh, sometimes they don't even say please. They approach us with a sense of bravado because they know that we love to provide for them. So it is attention. The question raises attention. You know, do I have to do this and that and that? The answer is no. But is there a proper way to approach God? Is there a right way to approach one's father? Uh, yes, of course there is. Can we learn to do that? Yes, we can. Another part of the Pray Big that I really enjoyed, because it struck a chord in me personally, Alistair, was you mentioned distractions that draw us away from prayer. Why are we so quick to look at these top 10 self-help lists and so, at times, reluctant, embarrassed, or feeling inadequate when it comes to approaching our Heavenly Father who wants to hear our prayers? Well, you know, we live in a culture that is managing to reduce everything to, you know, six ways to, you know, five ways to, 
And one of the real questions about that whole approach is if you if you take all of those approaches, whatever it is to raising your children or to uh, securing your finances or to learning to pray, you would think then that after, let's just say, half a century of a proliferation of all of these materials, we would by now almost be expert at all of the above. When in point of fact, most of us, if we're honest, are a complete shambles. We've made a little progress, but we've also digressed. And so the amazing thing about it is that the answer to our dilemma does not lie in learning how to, but rather it lies in understanding who God is. And so, again, you see, this is where the prayers of the apostle help us, because his starting point is so very different from most of our own. And that is that he begins uh, by approaching God on his knees. Um, and he does so in the awareness that God is the father uh, of every family in heaven and on earth. And that according to the riches of his glory, he's able to do all of these things. He hasn't told them how to do anything. He's only told them who God is, and he approaches him in that way. I think, you know, Packer's book, Knowing God, which is a classic now over all these years, was such a vital, vital book and remains so, because it is the people who know God who will then be strong and, uh, and, and engage for him. And it's a staggering thing to say that for all of our awareness of all these different things, um, what, what it shows up is that we might not have such a, an awareness of God as we should. So that's certainly one of the important aspects of your latest book, Pray Big, Alistair Big. Not only who we pray to, but later on in the book, you mention who we should be praying for. And in the book, something I felt very convicted of is a sort of self-centered prayer. God, please bless me and my household and my family and my issues. But I'm not often enough praying for others, the stranger, people you deal with on your block, and just those that it's easy to forget because it's not as convenient. So of the different people that we need to pray for, are there any aspects of what Paul wrote that really stood out in your mind? Well, I think that fundamental aspect of it is just that, that, that it is my sense of being able to go on fine whether, or, whether I pray or whether I don't, either because we don't believe that God answers prayer or because we believe that we don't really need to. And it's, that's why God often, in his wisdom, will bring things into our lives in order to remind us of our absolute need of him. And when we realize the, the, the hugeness of that, if you like, then we realize how small our petty concerns are. I mean, Paul's not asking the believers in Ephesus to pray that he would be released from jail. Clearly, he would like that. He, the, the, the people who were the recipients of his letter in Ephesus, you know, had to go to work. They had children and grandchildren. They had relationships or they lived as singles or whatever. They had all the issues of life that we ourselves uh, deal with. And yet his prayer for them was so huge in comparison. It wasn't that he was disinterested in those things, nor indeed that God is, but that the real issues of the kingdom of God transcend those things. And I think part of the part of the problem is that we've just become so used to a kind of diminished view of God and an exalted view of ourselves. 
It's as if we are so self-centered and self-reliant and dependent that we raise ourselves up exponentially. And as a result, we diminish what God wants to do in our lives until the big tragedy happens or illness or the loss of job or the necessity for a move. So, Alistair, was Paul special or was he just better disciplined to be able to really prioritize the essence of who God is versus his own personal needs. I mean, he was in prison at the time. He could have prayed for anything else, and yet he was calling out the church in Ephesus and trying to encourage them. Well, he certainly was special. I mean, he was uh, he was an apostle. We do not share his apostleship, his experience of God, um, his personal testimony of the sufferings that he endured for the gospel his shipwrecks, his thorn in the flesh. I mean, the the identical picture of the Apostle Paul is vast, it's huge. And so it's, it is in one sense not surprising that when he uh, gives gives voice to his prayers, they would have this, like, vast dimension to them. But that's true in terms of how many of us would have uh, consider all of our letters. Has anyone ever written a letter that, that approaches even... Uh, Philemon, which is only one chapter, certainly not Ephesians or Colossians or Philippians or Romans or whatever. Yeah, Paul was different, but the God he knew was the same God, and the way he had come to know him was by the same means, and the power that he experienced was the same power that he prays would be the experience of his readership, which of course includes us, that you might know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. And so, in that sense, he has no angle that we, as, if you like, ordinary believers, uh, do not ourselves share. Do you ever follow the TV game show Jeopardy? Yeah, oh, yes, I do, yeah. We're going to keep Alex Trebek in prayer. He's got stage four cancer, and he said Absolutely. something very sweet. He's, he mentioned that he wished he'd met his wife earlier on in life. Just because of this, the same number of syllables, people often call up about Truth For Life with Alex Trebek. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, one of my friends uh, from Africa who was traveling in the country sent me a text. It said, brother, how are you? I texted back. I said, I'm fine. How are you? He goes, well, I'm fine. But I was so concerned to hear about your illness. I texted him back. I said, do you know something that I don't know? And he, t- and he texted back, what? About another 20 minutes later, I got another message that said, oh, I've got to the bottom of it. He said, I was driving in the car, and the person with whom I was driving said, did you hear that Alex Trebek has stage four cancer? And he said, when he said that, I heard Alex Trebek, and that's why I was calling you. So, yeah. <laughs> that it's is funny. so funny. I, I, actually, there's, I think in some ways... If there was a mechanism for me to be in touch with Alex Trebek to let him know of uh, the gospel, if he doesn't understand it, then we've, we've been peculiarly joined by, in a syllabic way, if I might say so. We're speaking with Alistair Begg of Truth For Life, and you can get his latest book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle, for a donation of any amount at truthforlife.org slash praybig. When we return, more with Alistair Begg on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here, privileged to speak with Alistair Begg. He's been in pastoral ministry since 1975. Following graduation from the London School of Theology, he served eight years in Scotland at both 
Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh and Hamilton Baptist Church. He's written several books and is heard daily and weekly on the radio program Truth for Life. And the teaching on Truth for Life stems from week-by-week Bible teaching at Parkside Church near Cleveland, Ohio, where he became the senior pastor in 1983. He and his wife Susan were married in 1975, and they now have three grown children and seven grandchildren. So welcome back, Alistair Begg. How is your family doing? Well, they're fine. Thank you very much. Uh, It's a growing family. Our our one daughter uh, just gave birth to identical twin girls, which uh, is to add two more girls to a family already of three. So uh, four four girls and a little boy uh, sandwiched in the middle of that. Our other daughter has two daughters, too. So I'm surrounded by girls. Uh, my son is not <laughs> married, has not entered into the fray as yet. But uh, uh, it's a very happy, it's a happy life for me. I'm, I'm enjoying it very much indeed. What a wonderful season to enjoy. Were you able to see any of them recently? Oh, uh, both, both girls live within two miles of us. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly in their presence. Oh, how wonderful. Now, did everything go nicely and smoothly with the birth of the twin girls? Uh, yes, thank you. Yes, it did. We, we, uh, they, there was uh, a, longer, a longer stay in the hospital than with uh, the, the ones that came one at a time, uh, but uh, there was nothing untoward that was represented in that. Well, praise God for that. My wife is a twin, and we actually have twins on both sides of the family. So it's always a really okay. fun dynamic when God throws us a curveball like that. So we're very yeah, excited that's about one, it. That's one way of putting it. Well, thank God for that. We'll take it. So about your latest book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Impossible. I love the fact that you recognize that prayer doesn't come easily to a lot of us in so many different seasons, and we don't often know how to say, but the book pursues exactly important questions like, what does our Father love to hear about? And what are the best things that we could pray for our family, for our church, and for ourselves? And what if we could pray bigger and better than we already do? So have you had a lot of good feedback from your cohorts while writing this book? Um, actually, when I write like this, <clears throat> I, I, I don't share it very widely. I'm usually embarrassed by it. So, I mean, even now I'm I'm wary of their reaction. But... Uh, uh, the, the, the feedback that really um, propelled the book, of course, was the feedback of the congregation as we were working our way through uh, these studies in Ephesians. So, yes, I think, I think you know, in, in the task of preaching, you know, we preach to ourselves, and then, you know, others get to listen in to what's happening. And so, uh, you know, when, when uh, the pastor is being, if you like, unsettled and uncovered by uh, the teaching of the Bible, uh, usually the congregation will be, you know, uh, having the same experience. And so together we we be confronted both individually and corporately as a church about uh, the need for us to really think seriously about what we're doing when we pray and to the extent that we are praying big things and praying for the things that uh, we can uh, sincerely ask God to give because he's already promised to give them. So at your church, Parkside Church near Cleveland, Ohio, did anyone in your congregation point out some great things to emphasize in the book, Pray Big? 
Well, maybe they did, but I've, I've already forgotten because I, I don't, uh, I, I, you know, one Sunday follows upon another Sunday. And uh, I think that if there was one large thing, it would be um, that we, we not, not only does this, does this book remind us that we should pray, but it tells us that we can pray and that we uh, are the beneficiaries of the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, who both is the inspirer uh, and, and the hearer of prayer. And I think essentially what it did was, was to just put back up on the, on the tabletop, if you like, uh, the matter of prayer itself, what it means, why it matters, how we should be doing it, and uh, what does it mean for us as a church to take seriously the responsibility to pray together, the, the, the whole idea of the, the family that prays together stays together, and for our hearts to be united in prayer in a way that transcends uh, gender and transcends age and so on, and just looking for ways in which we can do that, which is part of the journey we're on right now. Well, Alistair, one of the things you mentioned in your book was the different ways that Paul prayed relative to what so many of us stumble over today. Paul actually enjoyed prayer. He was excited about it, and he was expecting his Father in Heaven to hear what he said and to act in other people's lives accordingly. So are there ways that we today just fail to follow through with that? Do we pray without faith? Are we sabotaging ourselves at times? Well, it's, yeah, maybe. <clears throat> I mean, again, you see, Paul Paul is operating, you know, underlying underlying his, his whole approach is his conviction uh, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The reason that some people don't pray is because they don't believe. And they, they, they actually don't believe in God. They, 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 they like, they, they believe in the idea of God. They, they live as if God is God, but they don't live in light of the fact that God is God. So when you take, for example, a call to a group of three or 4,000 people who are all uh, gathering to, uh, uh, to, to, to share in congregational praise or whatever else it is, and you say, now we're going to get together, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to pray. Uh, why is it that the number reduces by, uh, you know, 75 to 80 percent? Why is that? Well, there are all kinds of reasons, practical reasons, and this can, that, and the next thing. But fundamental to it is the fact of man's, I'd say that in a generic sense, that men and women's notion that somehow or another God exists for us rather than that we exist for him. And so that is the work of the Holy Spirit to break that cycle in our proud hearts and to bring us to the same place in which Paul found himself, which is, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in heaven. You know, you take the average uh, evangelical church across America, it's full of coffee, full of songs, full of books, full of this, full of that. And, uh, and the, the idea of just actually kneeling down is something that we've left to, to more liturgical places. 
well, okay, we don't need to kneel down. We have no mechanism for kneeling down at Parkside either. But the question is, as God looks upon us, are we kneeling, if you like, in our hearts? So why did we in the modern church shun away those aspects that perhaps put us in a better physical, if not spiritual position, to bow down before our God? Because because we're man-centered. We're man-centered. The, 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 the average uh, gathering for worship uh, begins on a, such a horizontal level that people could be forgiven for thinking that they'd attended a show rather than, uh, rather than a congregational uh, gathering to worship Almighty God. You think about the average way in which it begins. Hey, thanks for coming out. Pardon? That's like when people say uh, to me, and I say, well, thank you for bringing me my meal. And they say, not a problem. What do you mean, not a problem? Of course it's not a problem. It's your job. You know, and in the same way, they say to people, they say, hey, thanks for coming. Who, who are you thanking them for? Are you thanking them for yourself? So the whole idea of come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker as if you like the call to worship, starts things off at the right place. As opposed to that, many of our songs begin with ourselves and how we're feeling, I this, I that, I the next thing. And so, and, and when we speak in terms of our own personal faith, uh, we're speaking so much in terms of the first person rather than in terms of the third person. How is it that you know uh, that you will be welcomed into heaven? Answer, because I no, the answer to that is not, doesn't start with I. It starts with he, because he, because he promised, you see? And so the, the reason for it is that, that uh, 20th century uh, church life is, is essentially man-centered rather than God-centered. So how do we fix that? Well, God has to fix it. But, it, but it's fixed in practical terms by those of us who are in positions of influence and of guidance, making sure that we don't succumb to the spirit of the age. Why is it that so many young people, so many millennials, are off in search of the numinous, are often in search of the mystical, are drawn to ideas that are transcendent? I'll tell you why it is, because the longing of man's heart is for eternity, and when they encounter so much of what is on offer to them within the framework of evangelicalism, it is so, it is so trivial by comparison. So we have a responsibility uh, not to try and be otherworldly in the sense of you know, dressing up in a funny way or marching around buildings or anything, but bringing to the gathering of God's people a sense of God. That we that come, let us worship God. That's where we begin, and so we begin with God and His glory, rather than ourselves and our need. How do we do that? By by allowing the Scriptures to establish our agenda, by looking to the Holy Spirit to convince us of these things and to enable us uh, to pursue that which makes much of God and less of me. 
We're speaking with Alistair Begg from Truth For Life. He's the senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. And you can get his latest book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle, for a donation of any amount at truthforlife.org slash pray big. So, Alistair, thank you so much for your latest release. I'm so grateful to have gotten a copy of it. And I've got one final question for you, which would be, what suggestions would you have when it comes to our prayer life, especially when it comes to our need of the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, that that, that was the question that the, um, that the disciples came to Jesus with. Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus gave them a pattern of prayer. And so it's good to have some kind of pattern. It's good also, in functional terms, to have some kind of process, some kind of record. Uh, some way of making a note of things, either for occasions of praise, so that when we we speak to God in prayer, that we're able to thank Him specifically for these things. Um, but but in it all, uh, simply uh, coming before God and and acknowledging, I I desperately need Heavenly Father, the work of the Holy Spirit in me and through me, in order that I might um, pray as I should. And I thank you that uh, uh, that this immeasurable, uh, unimmeasurable power is is mine by uh, by the work of Jesus in the resurrection, and that uh, uh, that I am indwelt by the Spirit of God. In other words, just reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ, so that it is out of our union with Christ that we uh, that that we approach uh, God, uh, our Father, in prayer. Alistair Begg, congratulations on your latest two new uh, granddaughter twins arrival, and thank you so much for all of your contributions to our area through your ministry, Truth For Life. May I invite you to prayerfully consider speaking at our Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast in Portland in the year 2021? Is that enough notice for you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very kind invitation, yes. So, uh, yeah, you have your you have your folks uh Get in touch with us, and, and we will give that uh, humble and due consideration. Thank you so much for spending time out of your busy week to share about your latest book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle. Thanks to this book, you can be inspired by the Apostle Paul to pray bigger and pray better as we look to our Heavenly Father to do more than all we ask or imagine. I'm not a great reader, friends, but I found this a very clear and quick read. So please make a donation of any amount at truthforlife.org slash pray big and get your copy of the new book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle. Alistair Bake, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you along the way. You as well. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here. And what an absolute privilege it was to speak with Alistair Begg of Truth for Life. Keep us in prayer, folks, to get Alistair Begg for Portland in 2021 at our Pastors Appreciation Breakfast. And thanks to my pal Amy Castleberry, I've discovered that you can get the new book, Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle, for a donation of any amount at the website truthforlife.org slash big, but only until April 30th. So act now before you forget. In the studio, Ryan Price, who is the Area Director of Oregon and Idaho for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, Oregon chapter, whose office is located on Beaver Creek Road in Oregon City. And I want you to mark down Thursday, May 9th on your calendar 
for an event they have, which is about ministering to faith communities affected by suicide, and it's called Soul Shop to be held at West Portland United Methodist Church. That's on Southwest Taylor's Ferry Road, a nice red brick building a couple of blocks west of Barber World Foods and the Barber Boulevard Park and Ride area just off of I-5. So welcome, Ryan Price. How are you today, sir? I'm well. Thanks for having me. You did great with uh, the name. Sometimes the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention can be a little tongue twister. I'm ashamed to admit that my grandparents got me into pro wrestling when I was a teenager, uh-huh. so a billion times over have I called you the American Federation uh-huh. instead of Foundation, but I finally got it right, and apparently we have some friends in common, including my dear sister, Anna Maddox, mm-hmm. who used to work with AFSP in the past. So can mm-hmm. you tell us, first of all, about Soul Shop and what's this all about coming on Thursday, May 9th? Yeah, so Soul Shop is a day-long workshop that is geared toward faith leaders, and when we say faith leaders, these are people who are maybe leading small groups at their church or leading uh, or their pastors or bishops at their church or they're you know in young life or FCA uh, something like that but it's really a day long workshop that is both evidence based suicide prevention education incorporated with biblical principles and so we're really excited because I think that, you know, a lot of people out there may have had a bad experience uh, in a church related to mental health. And uh, and so this is really preparing faith leaders to handle situations of suicide when it comes up within their ministry, whether it be in a church or at a school or in a, you know, sports athletic club or something like that. Okay. Well, as a fellow Christian, Ryan Price, you and I both believe that mm-hmm. the ultimate truth comes from the Holy Bible. And at the same time, God gives us resources, mm-hmm. whether they are you know, medical breakthroughs or in the field of counseling and things mm-hmm. like that, and in mental health. So in your opinion, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm throwing the church under the bus as much as just trying to ask a relevant, pertinent question. Mm-hmm. Do we as the church, being brothers and sisters in Christ, not any particular building or denomination or congregation, do we as the church need to step up our game when it comes to mental health, and preventing suicide? Are are there simplistic church-speak-type mottos we have out there that really aren't helping the cause? You know, I don't know if there's specific church-speak mottos out there, but, you know, the the history of the church related to suicide is not great, right? Coming out of the Catholic faith, uh, in just very recent history, it was still considered a, you know, a, a cardinal sin, suicide was. And so, we can change that culture. We know that the Bible doesn't talk. There's only one unforgivable sin, right, which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But suicide, as it relates to the church, I think that as it relates to the church or schools or the medical community, we can all elevate our education to do better um, and to to be able to treat and support and walk alongside and be with people who are struggling with uh, thoughts of suicide or who have been impacted by suicide. You know, in a typical church congregation, about half the people there have been impacted by suicide in one way or another. And so if our faith leaders are not equipped, it's not to say they couldn't be helpful, but, you know, eight hours of education specific to suicide prevention can really go a long way in terms of getting on the same page, knowing what to do, what's best to do, and how they can help people who are struggling or who've been impacted. So Soul Shop is coming up on Thursday, May 9th, being held at West Portland United Methodist Church on Southwest Taylor's Ferry Road. Tell me, Ryan Price, for AFSP, who is your target audience? 
who needs to strongly, prayerfully consider going to your soul shop workshop? Yeah, so this is really anybody who could be considered a faith leader, right? And so uh, the Bible calls us all priests, right? We're all holy, we're a holy priesthood. And so it could really be anybody. If you even lead a small Bible study on Friday mornings, or if you lead a congregation of 3,000 people, uh, or if you're, you know, a volunteer coach for FCA or, you know, a Young Life leader or something like that, it's really anybody in in a leadership role currently, or who has hopes of being in a leadership role in the future uh, to come. Uh, so it's really anybody that wants to, to learn. And it, like I said, it's an evidence-based suicide prevention program that has elements from the Bible. I love the fact that you are incorporating the Word of God into this. Now, mm-hmm. is this strictly for Christians only, or will anyone who deals with people altogether, whether or not they happen to be card-carrying, church-going Christians, would anybody benefit from Soul Shop coming up on May 9th? I, I, I do think so, yeah. And, and as I understand, I've not actually done this program yet. I've talked to Michelle, who's a national trainer. She's going to be leading the program. She's coming from, I think, somewhere in Ohio, if I recall correctly. But... Um, uh, but but the principles they use the faith principles are from the Bible. So if uh, if it's a, maybe a Jewish rabbi or something like that, they they may not identify with the principles from the New Testament that are used as examples. Uh, but the suicide prevention concepts still do apply. And I think if you know if you're a person who knows your holy text well enough, you can search your your scriptures, your text to figure out where the evidence-based suicide prevention uh, concepts fit into the, uh, the context of, your, you know, of the, the, the holy book for your faith. In the past, Ryan, I've had the privilege of working with AFSP, in particular on the Out of the Darkness walk events. But for people who might be new to the area or less familiar with AFSP, could you please give us the big picture of what American Foundation for Suicide Prevention stands for? Yeah, so our mission's pretty simple. It's just 11 words, to save lives and bring hope to those affected by suicide. So everything we do is related to that vein. We fund research for suicide prevention, education for suicide prevention, like Soul Shop is. Um, We also have support for lost survivors, and we advocate for public policies that will save lives. And so we're really, we're, we're not a crisis organization, and uh, to, to go along with all of those things that, that we do. I'm the only staff between Oregon and Idaho. So, Mike, when you said you did work with us, uh, that was unpaid as a volunteer. So I thank you for that. Um, we have volunteers all across the state who have been impacted by suicide that are really doing the hard, hard work of uh, the foundation across the state. And while so many of us, sadly, have had loved ones who've fallen victim to suicide, or at least entertain thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think it's a relevant, vital, and important thing for us to pray about. Is is God calling you into a particular ministry, whether or not you have any personal strings attached? This would be a worthy one. It certainly would be. And one of the resources and services that AFSP provides would be, if you are in crisis, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's toll-free at 1-800-273-273. Talk. That's 1-800-273-8255. And you can even contact the crisis line by texting the word TALK, that's T-A-L-K, to 741741. Mm-hmm. So very convenient and easy to remember. So thank you for providing that service, mm-hmm. Ryan. So how long have you officially been the area director for Oregon and Idaho for AFSP? It'll be four years in August. 
Yeah. So it's been a, a decent amount of time. I feel like I'm just getting warmed up, though. That's a good thing. It's still fresh. You still have your passion about it. Oh, definitely. So can you tell us how you got into AFSP in the first place and where you grew up? Yeah, so it was a uh, very much a divine intervention. Um, I was working in retail as a uh, manager. I, I went back to school to study nonprofits. I have a master's degree in nonprofit management. My first role in nonprofits was with a cancer organization where um, uh, I had gotten let go because I was struggling with untreated mental health conditions, depression, thoughts of suicide, and, and, it, and it affected my performance. And then, no joke, the week that unemployment was going to run out, I got a strange email from LinkedIn. Do you use LinkedIn, Mike? I do. Okay. So, you know, sometimes you get spam through there, right? Where they'll, you know, someone will send you an email and it's like, yeah, this is a joke. I don't believe this. But this email was like, I forget his name. It was like John Smith at John Smith Consulting. And he said something like, I've got a, an exciting uh, work at home opportunity for a director level position. I was like, yeah. I don't believe you, but I, I looked up, he had a website, the job was posted there. I was like, okay, I'll, inter- I'll entertain this. And it wasn't and actually multi-level it, marketing. It, wow. it wasn't. No, it was, it was just, he was a recruiter who was a CEO for a nonprofit. And now, you know, we've, uh, our organization hired him to recruit for this new position in Oregon. And so I started the week that unemployment ran out and it was uh, a very uh, prayerful, difficult time of waiting between the cancer organization and, and this, but it led me to realize that that I didn't know that I struggled with thoughts of suicide. It wasn't something I I, I understood until I started learning about it. And so I think there'll probably be a lot of people out there hearing this that you know can identify with this struggle and this cycle of doing well and sometimes not doing well, but not really knowing where where it is. And the I can't stress enough. Seeking help for your mental health, going to talk to someone at your church, going to a doctor um, is such an important thing because uh, it's real, just like physical health. You know, if um, it'd be silly if, if you fell down and broke your arm on one of the stairs outside this office, you would, you would go to the doctor, right? But there's a sort of stigma about seeking help for mental health um, that is often a stigma we put on ourselves, Mike. Uh, we do a public opinion survey and uh, over 90% of people we surveyed across the country view mental health and physical health as being one and the same. So uh, for me, it was like a, an aha moment where now I'm here doing this. I feel very strongly that this is where the Lord has called me to. He continues to open doors in just in my own work for this. And now I feel so privileged to to do this work across the state, but then also to help equip our faith leaders in, in the area to to learn about suicide and so that they can support their congregations or their people. So I'm in my 50s right mm-hmm. now, but unlike the Mike who was growing up in the 70s and 80s, I think I know a lot better now than what I thought back then, mm-hmm. which would be anyone who's going through mental issues, they got to be crazy. There's something mm-hmm. wrong with them. If someone has thoughts like that, they're not normal. But I don't believe that anymore, Ryan. Yeah. I believe that mental health is an issue that needs to be on the forefront, at least in this country, mm-hmm. and that these are not uncommon thoughts. Mm-mm. So you're right. They're not uncommon thoughts. And, and I think one of the great things about what this workshop is going to, to teach people is that how do you help get people through that period of increased risk or of intense crisis so that they can get help and support that they need. And, um, you know, in Oregon in 2017, 
825 people died by suicide. And suicide's the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 15 and 34. And so it, it would, it, it's not a good thing to ignore this because it makes us uncomfortable, right? We've got to deal with this because you're right. It's much more common than people think. Um, and, and without the education, without helping to destigmatize uh, mental health and suicide, we're going to continue to perpetuate it. But things like this soul shop, the out of the darkness walks, those are all, those are all helping to change the culture around mental health. I'm glad to see that, Ryan, and I'm glad to see what you and AFSP are doing in the area, including Soul Shop. Mm-hmm. So we've got about two and a half-ish minutes Great. before we land the plane. Can you tell us about Ryan Price? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Southern California and also Arizona. Uh, my wife and I moved here in 2008. Uh, it may be the worst time possible. I got a job. Maybe you remember this, Mike, uh, GI Joe's or Joe's Sporting Goods. I do. So I took a job with Joe's over the phone from Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, and I think that I was the last salaried manager they hired from outside the company within – I had never even been to Oregon. We moved blind, just tr- drove up here, and within about two months, they had filed for bankruptcy, and so I was out of where – we moved at the worst possible time. Now that you've moved here, congratulations. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, again, going back to what what brought me here, and, you know, uh, I, I wasn't a believer before we moved. We, My wife and I weren't going to church. We found uh, Athey Creek is where we still go now, and we, um, it's a funny story, we went there because uh, it, the website pulled up and my wife thought they had a pretty website, so we tried it. <laughs> but I got saved at Athey Creek and have stayed there um, the whole time. And so, for, for me, this work started, you know, being in this position, the time of working in retail, going back to school. Um, all of this started way back when, you know, when we moved to Oregon from Arizona, sort of blindly. I'm so glad that you and your wife are here, Ryan Price, and that the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is hosting Soul Shop, ministering to faith communities affected by suicide, because it's estimated that one out of every two people in a given congregation has personally been affected by suicide. And Soul Shop trains faith community leaders to offer support and hope and connection to those in their congregations, co-sponsored by the AFSP. Soul Shop equips participants with the resources and guidance they need to foster hope and healing in their community. Thursday, May 9th at West Portland United Methodist Church on Taylor's Ferry Road. Also glad, but not at all surprised to hear that Brett Meadow and the good people of Athey Creek reached you and helped bring you to the Lord. Yeah. Very excited about that. So anyone you want to send a shout out to, Ryan? No, I don't think so, Mike, but thank you so much for allowing me the time, and, and uh, I appreciate I appreciate it. It's truly my privilege. Ryan Price, Area Director of Oregon and Idaho for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. All of the information about Soul Shop coming up on May 9th is at truetalk800.com on the Difference Makers page. So please, prayerfully consider coming out to Soul Shop Thursday, May 9th. You won't regret it. So thank you so much for listening to Difference Makers. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.